Hi, this is Gretchen Mann, and this is Musicians on the Record. Hit it. Hey, welcome to Musicians on the Record. I'm David Ward. You've heard the music, now hear their story. This is the show where we bring you the musician's story. And thank you so much for joining us today. On the show today, she is not your average guitar hero. Gretchen Men is on the show, an amazing guitarist. She's got brains, beauty, and the guitar-shredding skills to melt your face off and make you run back to your guitar teacher for more lessons. Absolutely. All of that. And she plays like Jimmy Page. And as a matter of fact, she plays a lot of his music, even including with the bow. It's incredible. She is in an all-female Led Zeppelin tribute band called Zepparella, who tours and travels the U.S. and the world. It's incredible. She's uh, very distinguished. She She's like a musician's musician because she studied a lot. She went to Smith College. She studied Mozart, Beethoven, Steve Morse. Frank Zappa. You're going to hear all about her music and her album, Abandon All Hope. Gretchen Men is on the show today. She's even going to tell us some stories around uh, flying jets to support her guitar habit as well. So excited to bring you Gretchen's interview today. We'd love to hear from you wherever you're listening from in the world. Please let us know also which musician story you'd most love to hear. If you're joining us again, welcome back. If you're here for the first time, welcome to you. And I would invite you to subscribe to the audio podcast here, as well as all of these interviews uh, are on video as well. They are on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and our website, musiciansontherecord.com. I'm really excited about this interview. Here's my time with Gretchen Men. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. So glad you are. Let's start with the new album. It came out uh, last year, December 2016. Uh, I've been listening to it. I love it. It's great. It's it's moody. It's sort of the fusion of the classical, rock, baroque, whatever you want to call it. It's pretty amazing. How did all that come about? Uh, well, so after I did my first album, Hail Souls, I started immediately thinking about what I wanted to do for a second album. The title for Hail Souls actually comes from one of my favorite quotes about guitar, which is Shakespeare. You know, if you want a great quote, that's always a great place to go. Yes. And, and so I, I was this close in college to doing an English and music double major and, and ended up just doing the music major. And, and nevertheless, I've always grown up in a family of writers and literature has always been a big thing for me. And so I started thinking about instrumental music and it being inherently the most abstract of all art forms. And that can be wonderful because it engages your imagination so much. And yet I don't know that, that we now, that, that the current time that we're living in is something where that's necessarily as welcome. 
you know, I like stuff that engages my imagination a lot, but I think just like anything else, whether it's a muscle or a, a habit that we do, the more we do it, the more we enjoy doing it generally. And so I was thinking, well, how can, um, how can instrumental music be made, be, be enriched maybe by literature? And so I had been thinking about what if I do an album that is somehow related to a work of literature on a bigger level, beyond just taking a title from Shakespeare, you know, something that, that's actually more programmatic. And so I had been toying around with that idea. And then right at that time, Michael Molenda uh, with Guitar Player Magazine, I had known him very casually um, through a mutual friend, Jude Gold, who I played guitar with in, um, in a, an acoustic duo and who's a great friend and a wonderful guitar player. And Michael said, uh, let's uh, get an idea for a project. And uh, and I honestly thought that he was going to tell me what like, everybody's told me my whole life, which is, you need to play more pop sensibility music and you need to start singing. Uh, I kind of, I, or at least I wasn't sure that's what he was going to say, but I thought there was a very good chance that, that I was going to get pitched a project that was completely inappropriate for what I wanted to be doing and what I could do. Yeah. But we sat down and he actually, he, I actually just found it the other day had this sheet printed out and it said Gretchen Men, Dante's Inferno, A Journey in Eleven Different Musical Moods, mm. December eighth, twenty eleven. And I was like I saw it in and then he had these um uh these eleven different areas of the inferno and and what and what each one would be. And I was like I could not believe how up my alley it was. It was as, as like up my alley as anything has ever been and it was actually cooler than anything else I had been kind of toying with. Right. So I was I'm in. That's great. Um, so that's how it got started. Yeah. And a kind of long story, but that's no, it's wonderful. <laughs> we, we love the stories here on the show. And and can you tell us a little bit about you know you play live obviously with Zeparella and and others. Um, what's the difference in your mindset when you're playing live or you're going into the studio recording an album like this? Okay, that's a good point. Um, on a very pragmatic level. When I'm performing live, I'm less concerned with um, with accuracy. It's, it doesn't mean that I want want to be inaccurate, Miss Ferdinand. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but but a lot of it is about um, kind of letting yourself go in the moment and trying to just um, put aside some of those concerns of uh, of trying to be a perfect or you know being a perfectionist or anything like that, and just thinking. I'm here to connect with people. My practice has led to this moment. And after this moment, I will learn more things that I need to practice, but I'm going to let go of that right now, try to connect with people to the best I can and, and, and make it a joyous experience. Doesn't mean it always is. Sometimes, you know, live shows definitely mean all sorts of, you know, curveballs that can come your way. But, but I try to, um, to get out of my head in that way. On the other hand, in recording, I'm pretty ruthless because I know I'm going to have to live with it for a long time. And so uh, I tend to practice an enormous amount. I tend to, I've completely re retracked songs that, that I thought I had because um, because I determined it just wasn't right. I try not to be like pathological about that, right. you know, and not, and not put anything out there that's totally not representative. Sure. But um, but yeah, I guess those are, those are different ways that I approach mm. Process. And so then on average, how much time did you spend in the studio around this album? And what would you say, like, how many takes for some of these cuts? Uh, it, well, okay, it was a really, 
long album and it took me a long time to to write and to record because um it, it was very compositional i learned um recently that I, I have in my mind sort of a difference between songwriting and composition and it can be a little bit nebulous but nonetheless abandon all hope is definitely composition in that you know i wrote each part you know um now, of course, I mean, the drum part, like, yeah, there was a chart, and uh, but, you know, I told my drummer, you know, make this into a, a, a real thing. You're a drummer, so you know, like, you know, I'm not going to be the guitar player who's like, come on, drummer, I wrote every single hit for you. Right, right. But I would write basic beats, I would write basic, you know, fills to say, this is kind of what I'm going for, you go for it. But everything else was really composed. Mm. Uh, so that takes a while. Yeah. You know, when you're not just thinking about guitar, you're thinking about, uh, writing for string quartet and not just that not just thinking about it but it was the first time I'd done so with such seriousness yeah. so in terms of number of hours in the studio I guess I could go through my checkbook <laughs> <laughs> and in terms of numbers of takes uh, what I can say is the fewest takes required were from my my uh, my drummer Thomas Perry and my sister Kirsten Men so the drummer and then the soprano yeah. and it's really funny because my sister who uh, is she doesn't consider herself a professional musician because she's also a doctor. Wow. But she's um, marvelously talented. Yeah. And she was so nervous coming into the studio and so prepared that she would come in and just like do a take and everybody would be like in tears. Yeah. <laughs> She'd be like, is that okay? And it was so quick. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and for myself, if, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't count the takes, but here's what I, here's what I don't do. Um, I'm not a one take kind of person. I would love to be. I'm not. But I'm also not like a millions of take kind of person because I don't like to ever get myself to the point where I'm disconnecting from the emotional intent of the song and starting to get towards frustration. And for me, that's after about five takes. Um, that doesn't mean everything was recorded in five takes, but it's basically if I don't have it, it's in the first five takes. I go home. I practice. I work on whatever's not working, and then I come back another day when I can actually play it better. Got it. Got it. So, you know, some of the stuff you're talking about, Gretchen, you know, obviously a talented family with you and your sister, and I, I think your dad was in the business, too, from what I was reading. Um, yeah. Where did you learn? I mean, that's not just uh, doing a two and four beat there on the drum set. That's a lot of skill to learn all of that composition, writing for an orchestra. Where did you learn all that? Well, uh, I studied music in college, actually not too far from you. I went to Smith College in Massachusetts. Yes. I love the East Coast. And, uh, and I started my, my studies there, but it's really funny. It's like, you know, you can say, oh, I got a degree in music, you know, but I got out of college and I felt like I just barely started cracking open, like even the slightest hint of, uh, of understanding anything. And so it was really after that I've continued to study. I have a composition teacher. I have an orchestration teacher. Um, the composition teacher, Elizabeth Erickson, we work remotely. Like I send her scores, and she gives me feedback and we talk about them. Uh, Thomas Goss is an orchestration teacher, and he actually has stuff um, available like all over YouTube. That's actually how I found him. Amazing. I'm, he's from the Bay Area, but now he's living in New Zealand. So I found this guy who's practically local. <laughs> Amazing. Um, Great. There's so many resources, and then I've got tons of books on harmony and counterpoint and stuff like that. So, um, and and actually, very importantly, I mean, here's here's what's on my coffee table: studying real scores. So the other day, I was looking at this Ravel string quartet, um, 
you know, and, and just going through and listening to it, reading it, seeing how things are put together. You can analyze it. It's like there's just so much information. It's like, well, if you're writing books, you should be reading books. You know, so. sure. Of course. Can we can we go back in your story uh, sure. as far as when did you first fall in love with music and the guitar? How did that process even start for you? Mm. I fell in love with music before the guitar. Okay. Uh, yes. But, um, so not only, actually, my earliest music was actually more encouraged by my mom. It's really funny that because my dad and his association with Guitar Player Magazine when I was a kid, uh, although he had left, he'd been gone years before I ever started playing, uh, the, the, I think, natural tendency for everybody is to think that it, it came from my dad, which it certainly did, but, but, um, but I always have to really credit my mom because she was the one who was playing all sorts of different music at the house. You know, she was playing a really good music. She has fantastic taste in music. She took my sister and me to the ballet when we were little kids. We saw, you know, Swan Lake and the Nutcracker Lake. For her, she was uh, very, um, on, on some hands, very thrifty about stuff. Like, we didn't get, like, grotesque amounts of stuff. But she was really about experiences. So, it's like, I look back and I'm like, God, she took us to the theater a lot. Uh, and she was really intent that we would have a good um, education around music. And so it wasn't ever aggressive. It was never forced down our throat. But it was more like, hey, this is what you guys get to do. Sure. Like, cool. So uh, we got it. Uh, so I fell in love with music. It was just always part of my life. But guitar, I think, kind of around the, the age that a lot of people do, maybe a, maybe a little bit older. I feel like a lot of my heroes picked up the guitar more like around 10. But for me, you know, right around the age of about 14 or 15 is where I started discovering not just music, but really guitar-oriented music. And and that's what got me interested in ever picking up the guitar. Okay. And, and actually, it was the moment that was, I, I remember it, uh, was uh, I saw Eric, Eric Johnson open for Joe Satriani. And actually, I wasn't there to see Eric Johnson. I was there to see Joe Satriani. Mm. And um, and Eric Johnson played Cliffs of Dover, which I had heard on the radio uh, a couple weeks before, but they didn't, they must have said who it was, but like at the beginning of the song, because they didn't, I waited until the end and I didn't know who it was, and I was like, who is that? Who is that? <laughs> and then I heard him play it, and I was like, I was just struck by such joy mm. in the in the music, in the playing, and I just thought, God, you must be such a joyful person to play like that. And then I thought, well, wait a minute, if I could play guitar like that, Maybe 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 I reversed the causality. Maybe he's that joyful because he can play guitar that well. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so, great, uh, great. And then I kind of thought maybe I should take a couple of guitar lessons, but it was very innocently. I never thought like, oh, I'm going to become a guitar player. Okay, interesting. And so, who you mentioned some of those guitar heroes that you started getting into? Can you name a couple that really influenced your playing? For sure, like uh, Led Zeppelin. At, th at that point, when I was listening to Led Zeppelin, I wasn't, you know, really focused just on the guitar. I was just focused on the music. So I would say Led Zeppelin, but it wasn't until I got deeper into it that I thought Jimmy Page. But really, like, you know, Joe Satriani, Steve Vai, Steve Morse. Those are sort of my first, Eric Johnson, my, my first handful of people where, you know, you hear it and you can't not right. hear the guitar. That's all. Yeah. It's like... Oh my God, this is so amazing. Right. Yeah. yeah. Great guitarist, right? Amazing. Yeah. Guitarist. yeah. All right. Amazing. So you started taking lessons then. Were there some important teachers that helped you along the way? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, the first guitar lesson I ever took in high school is from a guy, Sam Eigen, 
he's still a dear friend of mine, and actually, he's now the guitar player for Smash Mouth. Oh, wow. Which is, yeah, but he's marvelously versatile. He does, you know, everything from shreddy, you know, Ingve Malmsteen, the Eddie Van Halen type stuff, yeah. to like, you know, gorgeous fingerstyle acoustic stuff, and just a wonderful guy. Um, and I only had a couple lessons with him because that was that was in high school, and at least growing up where I grew up. Uh, my high school is literally across the street from Stanford University, and even though it's a public school, it's a, a passionately academic environment, and so they get it in your head really early on that if you don't, um, if you don't get straight A's, like your future is going to be pretty bleak. Yeah. So I kind of, even though I was interested in guitar, I, I wasn't doing it seriously. I was like trying to, you know, get into college. And, sure, sure. Okay, you know, on the SATs, and so it wasn't actually until I got to college that I was like. Oh, oh, I want to play guitar. And then that's where I met my other very important teacher, Philip DeFremery, my classical teacher. Okay. And uh, I cannot give him enough credit for just uh, how carefully he taught me, how much he encouraged me. And, um, and and then he taught me from day one, like I might become professional instead of just kind of being like, oh, wow, first year of college and you're just now thinking about guitar. Like, it would easy for him to have dismissed me as somebody who's never going to do anything with it. He yes. never did that. In fact, if anything, I was more inclined to be dismissive of my interest, and he, he kind of said, don't be so quick, you know? Yeah, that's powerful, right? Somebody who believes in you, a mentor, a teacher like that. Yeah. Incredibly powerful, yeah. yeah. Even, even just as much as some of the technical skills you may have gotten from him, so. Yeah. yeah. So I wonder then, with with all of that happening, when did it start becoming a dream uh, to maybe become professional? What was that dream that you, you had and that you wanted? Um, you know, I think because when I got into music, it was already, I was I was so aware that it was a difficult business. Not, not only difficult, but, but almost a ridiculous pursuit for any reason other than because you love it. Uh, and... And so I never thought, oh, this is going to be my job. Um, I, I always just kind of pursued it thinking like that I would be so excited to, to try to get better at something that I really loved. And so kind of becoming more professional uh, was just sort of a natural outgrowth of continuing to do it. Uh, honestly, I never thought I would go so far with it. That's great. Um, and I still feel like an infant. I don't mean like, oh, I've done so much. But like right. when I when I started, I never thought, oh, I'm going to make an album. Right. I never thought that. Yeah. Um, just sort of, you know, you get into something, you get more into it and more into it and more into it, and then you're obsessed with it, and then sure. you start spending all your money making albums. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah, so, but an amazing dream that is come true for you, right? Oh, that's you know, it's a sweet way to say it. I, you know, I, I guess I see it, I see it so much as like a, a process, you know, because it's like you can have some days that, that are so just like where you're elated, where you come up with something that's that you're so excited about. And then other days where all you do is feel like just the weight of your inadequacies. And you look at your guitar and you're like, who am I? Like, I'm just such a... I'm such a charlatan. I'm such a dilettante. Like, what am I doing? And then other days where you're obsessed with it. And so I think so much of it is like a process of continuing to, to just, you know, walk your path, find your path. And, and therein is the dream, is continuing to, 
to find ways to stay engaged and interested and, and passionate about what you're doing. Well, and I've, I've heard others talk about that too, that sort of imposter syndrome. And you're clearly not an imposter the way you can play. So, uh, you know, but I imagine that that can add to whether nerves in the studio, uh, practicing on stage. How do you deal with that mindset? I mean, some of that is all that self-talk that we can have in our head of, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's hard. Um, there's nothing, there's no experience, or there's no substitute for just doing it, you know, and just just kind of going through it. But even then, it's funny, you can have a, um, you can you can go over a hurdle in one respect, and then the tiniest thing can change, and then there's a whole other thing that comes about. So like right now, uh, it's not to say that I never get thrown off my game at a Zeparella show. Of course I do. Of course I make mistakes. You know, it's part of just live performance. And if you're not going to stand there like a statue watching every single movement of your fingers, like stuff's going to happen. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, uh, how much adrenaline is surging through me and how much of that is anxious adrenaline, yeah. um, it's more, I would say, excited adrenaline. Uh, on the other hand, uh, oh gosh, a <laughs> perfect example is I just did a, a deep purple rock and roll fantasy camp a few months ago. Wow, cool. Played with the most amazing musicians because the other counselors were like, um, we had counselor bands. Mm -hmm. So like the counselors were people like Elliot Easton, Quinn Cars, yeah. and Gary Hoey, and Tony Franklin, you know, like, wow. uh, Minneapolis, you know, like these amazing people. And in my counselor band, I, I was in a band with Tony Franklin, Minneapolis, uh, Steve Brown, uh, Joel Hoekstra. <laughs> and, and what would we do? Oh my gosh. It was like, I don't know if you know Steve Brown and Joel Hoekstra, they're the other guitar players, but they're both total consummate rock stars. Yeah, like, wow. we, I mean, not just rock stars, but really great musicians too. And, and I was like, so a perfect example of me getting completely like, you know, put in a different element and just feeling like a complete idiot was, it was like, okay, let's just throw this band together. Uh, we're going to do this Van Halen song that you just found out about. And um, let's start it off with it, with each of the guitar players just taking a, a spontaneous shredding solo. You know, and there's Steve coming up and, and there's Joel and Joel's like, six foot five and has this long blonde hair and this gold top Les Paul and he's like he's got the moves and the technique and he's just like shredding like nobody's business and it's like your solo got you and I'm like I'm gonna disintegrate right. <laughs> so perfect example you know I can go up you know the front of the stage with Zeparella right. and feel confident but then put me in a different situation put me with these guys who you know are so much further along than I am and I just am like oh God, what right. are you doing here? Is Absolutely. anybody filming? Of course, of course. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but the way that I um I try to manage that rather than come home and, you know, just cry in bed. Right, right. <laughs> it, uh, I, I, I tried to come home and think really um, about solutions around that. Of like, okay, how, how would that not, how could that be less uncomfortable of a situation for me? And so then trying to have that knowledge and that embarrassing situation uh channel into uh into my growth as a musician yeah. you know yeah. so absolutely so learning from those experiences you know turning lead into gold basically using right the, the exactly yes the alchemy of yeah. humiliation that's right that's right exactly <laughs> yeah. i noticed that a lot of musicians professors uh were were very uh, jaded and 
and sometimes I wondered like if they even liked music. And then I tried to think, well, gosh, if I if I'm so passionate about music, what? Um, how do I stay that way? And I thought, well, it seems that a lot of times the reason people get jaded is because either they believe they were going to have some sort of success or that they were entitled to something that they didn't get, or they were they had to put their artistic ideals on the line in order to pay rent. And I thought, well, what if I don't ask anything from music other than that that I stay passionate about it? Like, what if I don't assume I'm ever going to make a single dollar from it? What if what if I just pursue it the way I want to do it? Which then, of course, is like, but I needed that I need a day job. And all in all through college, every summer I had jobs. You know, it's like I worked like at a clothing store, and that was horrific. I worked at a bar, and that was awful, you know, and just mind-numbing. It's like you'd come home, and rather than wanting to pick up your instrument, you'd just be like, you know, I'd been in zombie mode for so long that it was just like, it was not good for me. And so I thought, okay, I need something that's going to be more engaging, more challenging, more exciting, um, something that lets me use my brain, and maybe use my uses my brain in like a compatible way to music. And I had seen... Um, I had taken a few flight lessons just kind of spontaneously when I was at college because there was a discount for uh, college students. You'd get like two flights for a hundred bucks, and I was like, "Please, hey, all my Christmas money to do that." <laughs> uh, so I did that. But then it was when I ended up graduating. Um, I graduated a year early just because I was such a geek in high school, and you spend enough lunches in the library, and suddenly you end up with AP credits that you didn't realize were going to get you to college quicker, but it saved a year of tuition, so I did it. That's great. And, but it also meant that I graduated having only played guitar for like two and a half years, so I was not ready to play, you know, professionally. Yeah. Um, so I went to flight school, and I got all my licenses, and then I immediately, that took about a year, and then I immediately started teaching, wow. And, wow. and that allowed me to start working my way out of debt. Because um, I was teaching all the time, like seven days a week, like all, just like a maniac. Um, and then, um, and then I actually ended up going to the airlines for a year, uh, and I did not like that lifestyle, so I left and decided to just pursue pursue music a little bit more directly, and uh, and continue to flight instruct as my rent and groceries required. Right. Right. <laughs> That's an amazing story, though, Gretchen. I, I really think, I mean, what's that like of, you know, I don't know what kind of planes you were flying of how big, but, you know, what's that like being up there? And what's the similarity to music as well? Mm, that's a great question. Uh, so I flew the first plane I learned to fly and actually was, um, well, I got my check ride in a Cessna 152. Mm. And so I flew like little single engines, like mostly Cessnas. And then I went to multi-engine, like um, a Beechcraft Duchess and Traveler. <clears throat> and then for the airlines, I was flying um, a regional jet, actually. It was like, the, I, I did not expect to get hired directly into a jet, but because I had high multi-engine time and where I was instructing, I was one of the only teachers that had my multi-engine uh, instructor license. So, so I, was, I had higher multi-engine time. Um, so I got hired directly into the jet. Um, you know, the it's funny you mentioned the similarity between music and flying. I it's interesting how many musicians either are pilots or have an interest in it. Like, I mean, you know, one of my heroes, Steve Morris, is a pilot, but also I believe BB King, I think Mark Knopfler, I believe David Gilmore, 
uh, I could be wrong on some of these, but I'm, I, I don't, I'm pretty sure. We all know Bruce Dickinson, right? right. He actually flies around the, the band. It's amazing. Uh, Dick Dale, like, I mean, there's so many musicians. Actually, Jeff Beck right. took some flying lessons, too. He didn't get his license, but, but he, you know. That's fascinating. I didn't know that. So, yeah, it's, I think that there's, at least for me, what what I have read and what I understand is that music engages more areas of your brain than just about anything. There's a wonderful book called Music Ophelia by Oliver Sacks that talks about it. And it's kind of a pet interest of mine. But I, I believe flying also has that. And I think if you're the type of person who likes, I don't know, that feeling of just, um, I don't know, it's not like you can... So I sit there and be like, oh, I can tell a lot of areas of my brain are lit up. But I think there's a certain level of simulation that, that can be very engaging, yes. you know. And with flying, you have a lot of that because it's like not only are you having to be dealing with a ton of kinesthetic stuff, right, but you're also having to be thinking uh, with intense focus while at the same time multitasking, which is which is really because you're, you're having to maneuver a plane fly a specific heading, climb or descend to an altitude while talking on the radio, right. or listening on, to, on the radio, remembering your call sign, right. you know, watching your student, looking up for traffic. It's a lot to deal with, but once once you start to kind of get in the flow of that, there's something that's really, it's both relaxing and kind of um, stimulating. So, um, yeah, yeah. And, and just like music, and especially I imagine playing on stage, you've really got to be in the now in the present moment because uh, distractions can lead to some mistakes, right? <laughs> right. But you, you have to, exactly, you have to absolutely be in the moment, in the now, but you also have to be planning ahead a little bit, you know? Right. Yes. Like, so I have to, like, for instance, like, you know, say you're coming in for a landing um, and you can actually, you know, not only are you in the moment, you're also trying to see not just where are you right now, but hey, how's that rate of descent? Is that just a little too much? Do I need to correct it just a little bit now? Well, and, but then on, on stage, you know, it might be like, okay, how is, um, you know, I, I'm having to, I'm ending the bow solo. I have to adjust my pedal, my delay pedal for less delay. I have to go put the bow back and then I've got to be back to the front of the stage in time for those hits. Yeah. You know, yeah. so that, that simultaneous kind of being everywhere at once. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a great, great example. And it's kind of funny that you are piloting a Zeppelin in Zeppirelli, right? I mean, you, you have takeoff and then landings every, every show, right? Yeah. So yeah. It's really amazing. Can we talk a little bit about that then, Gretchen? And how did Zeppirella even happen or come about? Yeah. Uh, so that was the idea. So Clementine, Zeppirella's drummer, and um, it was all her idea. Um, I just volunteered for the guitar role. Uh, she and I had been playing in an ACDC band together, which was really my first real band. Awesome. I, I played in a couple other projects, but ACDC was the name of the band, and it was the first time I'd been like, you know, in a professional music situation. And I was in that for, I guess, about a year, year and a half, before uh, Clementine and I realized we were just wanting to play more than the other girls in the band. We were wanting to take opportunities that, that they weren't as enticed by. And so she suggested that we start this as a way of, you know, improving our skills, learning from our heroes and being able to uh, to take other gigs and to play more. So, yeah. It's amazing. And so can you say a little bit more about 
what you love about Zeppelin music, and especially with Jimmy Page. I mean, I consider him a musical genius. This is not easy music to play either, his guitar playing. How do you do that? I had to work hard. I had to work hard to, to, to get it together. Um, you know, now, I, now that I've been doing it for a, a while, it's, um, it's less daunting. But I, I think now what I find to be the biggest challenges um, playing Jimmy's stuff is that, you know, with, with my personality and with my background in classical music is I can be very detail-oriented to the point that it drives some people around me totally crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but to try to remember that on one hand, to be specific, to, to honor the music right, but playing Jimmy Page with a surgical attitude is all wrong. Right. He didn't play his stuff with That's a surgical right. attitude. That's right. So to try to find where that balance is between playing it right but also not taking away the spirit of it. Right. So that's an ongoing, that's a, a lifelong challenge. Yeah. But wonderful about playing Led Zeppelin is that it's like, I think for everybody, but I'll just speak for myself as a guitar player, it's like an amusement park. It's a right. musical music, a, a musical amusement park because you get to do everything. I mean, you get to play beautiful like ballad stuff. You get to play like super heavy riffs. Right. You get to beat up a Les Paul with a violin bow, you get to do sonic stuff, you get to improvise. It's like, I, I wouldn't have necessarily imagined that it would hold my interest for so long, mm -hmm. and I still really love doing it. Oh, that's great. Fantastic to hear. Can we talk a little bit about the bow and sort of the first time you picked that up? And do you also play the theremin, too? I, I have a theremin right there, actually, wow, um, and, okay. I'm and I'm learning it. Um, I played it in a couple of different shows, and... Um, the only reason I don't bring it with me to every show is it's just another piece of gear to bring. It's not heavy or big, but it's like another piece of gear to bring, to set up, to yeah, sound check. Yeah, sure. And because it goes through the, you know, the, out of a DI, it means something else for the sound guy to do. If it was just something that I, maybe I should get a designated amp for it, but then that's more gear. So, um, but in terms of the bow, I was very resistant to that because I actually, maybe it's because of Spinal Tap, you know, right, how like right. Jill Snowlight like, plays the guitar with the violin, you know, right. and I thought like, yeah, really, like, like there's, there's a level to which in honoring a band, if you get too persnickety with it, it starts to look more, I don't know, kind of cheesy. And so I was afraid it was going to go too far down that road. But it was through some serious arm twisting on the part of my bandmates that I finally agreed to to give it a go. And then um, once I got into doing it, I realized like that it was actually pretty cool. And and I stopped. I had I had to change my attitude about it. I had to stop thinking of it as kind of cheesy and think of it as like you know what this was a really cool, interesting new way to approach the guitar when Jimmy did it. And if I can. Um, if I can tap into that attitude more, then then it doesn't have to be, right. uh, you know. Yeah. And I would think some of the classical training would fit perfectly with some of that. I mean, it's not classical, obviously, bow on the guitar, but it's it's bringing in a classical instrument for that, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Although I picked up a violin before my sister plays, and it, boy, it does not translate. I no. sound horrible. <laughs> I love the violin, but no, I do not play it. <laughs> yeah, well, just another instrument to practice then, maybe on the yeah. next album, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Can you say also who else is in the band, uh, Gretchen? Yeah, is, uh, so the drummer is Clementine. She is just Clementine. That is her official legal name, Clementine. Uh, Angeline Saris is the bass player. 
and Noel Dowdy is the drummer. I mean, he's the vocalist. Yeah, excellent. And I love your description because I, I agree. Zeppelin didn't play play it the same way. They changed it up every night, each of these songs, yeah. right? And and riffed on it. How do you guys get gigs? Where where are some of your next upcoming shows? Uh, okay, I think our next shows are in Texas. We have Austin, Dallas, and Houston. I know we're getting to the East Coast later this year, but we're, I think, I was trying to get together with one of my friends. I think I'm booked every weekend, you know, until like the fall. Wow. So we're pretty busy uh, and, and we get all over the U.S. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about what's, on one hand, the most exciting thing about touring, also what's some of the most challenging things about touring? Sure. Uh, exciting things are just getting to go and play music in new and different places. And and honestly, I, I love I love meeting and talking to the people who have supported us, who come out to the shows. Like uh, it, it's funny because every now and then, you know, like one of my friends will come to a show and they'll they'll act like it must be kind of a drag for me to you know go out and do the meet and greet stuff. I'm like, are you kidding? These are like these are the people who right. like. Who are giving me a career? Like sure, it's like sure, the greatest sure. joy ever. Yeah, so I love meeting. I love meeting the people who've supported us. Um, that's totally wonderful. Some some people have like fascinating stories, and it's incredible. I'm I'm often struck by how unifying music can be, especially because one of the greatest things about music and, and touring as a musician is you encounter people where you would have no other reason really to encounter each other. People, maybe you disagree on everything politically. Um, maybe you have nothing in common otherwise, but you have this common love of music. To me, that's like fantastically humanizing. And I feel like more of that will only do good things for the world. Agreed. Agreed. Absolutely. Yeah. And obviously, uh, I mean, part of the attraction for people coming out is it, you guys are an amazing band. It's an all women uh, Led Zeppelin tribute. And just for the love of Led Zeppelin, people want to hear some of that music because, let's face it, they're not getting back together, right? right, um, right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's one of the amazing things about your band. Have you guys been able to meet any of them? Have you? Yeah. Had um, I met Robert Plant very briefly. Our singer knows him um, for a number of years. Uh, my meeting with Robert was not in any way remarkable. It's like, hi, you're Robert Plant, and you're never going to remember me. Thanks, bye. <laughs> Like, okay. I have a friend one who, like, needs to meet my heroes, you know. Yeah. Sure. Like, it's great. Yeah. But at the same time, just to say, I shook Robert Plant's hand. I don't care. He doesn't care. Like, you know, I just want him to keep doing his thing. Yeah. You know, I'll just, I'll just be inspired. Absolutely. Good. Yeah. And as far as some of the challenges, then, of, of mm -hmm. being on tour, what's some of the difficulties that you have to overcome? Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard work. I mean, it's it's exceptionally hard work, and in fact, um, some people who have toured with us or like have joined for parts of the tour are often even other musicians are are kind of um, uh, surprised by how rigorous of a schedule we keep. I mean, it's long drives, it's late nights. We load our gear, we set up our gear, we tear down our gear. Uh, we don't have we don't have a team of people doing stuff for us, so. Uh, there, to me, there's something cool about that in as much as it, like, it's impossible. Like, I'm quite sure I will never become a diva. Like, if you're lugging your own amps around, right. like, you're right. you're always going to have an appreciation. Right. 
for, uh, for, for hard work. And, and I believe in that. Um, but yeah, after, you know, when you look at your calendar and you see, wow, I have no days off until next month, you can kind of feel like, I don't really like a day off. <laughs> right, right, sure. Yeah, so people, some people might have the fantasy that, oh, it's a Led Zeppelin tribute. You guys are traveling in the Starship, but no, this, this yeah. is hard work too, right? Oh, yeah, it's hard. exactly, yeah. exactly. And and actually, if there's anything that sometimes can be disappointing to, I think people who meet us is they think, oh, you just played the show, now you're gonna rage, we're gonna party, whatever. And I'm like, you see all of that gear on stage until that is in the van. My night isn't even like I'm I'm still at work. Right. I mean, right. even if I'm having a great time and I love my work, like. There's no party for me. Right, like, right. <laughs> you know, the party is what just happened on stage. That's right. That's right. That's fantastic. I love it. You talked about some of the issue with your hand. Obviously, playing music can be tough on the body sometimes, whether it's sure. guitar, drums, any sort of injuries that you've had from playing or needing to take care of. Yeah. Uh, well, right now, I'm just having some tendonitis in my right hand, and that's why we talked about maybe me doing some classical guitar, but I've been I've been making myself lay off it because I I guess tendonitis can be more serious than I, I thought. Um, so I'm dealing with that one of my my right fingers, which which is great. If I was if I had to pick which finger to have tendonitis in, it's it's in my first choice. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah, um, but. Um, but yeah, so, so that that's minor. I have had I have dealt with some carpal tunnel type stuff in my uh, left hand. I've gotten better at um, managing it. Actually, what 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 solved it for me was um, a, a really intense type of physical therapy called golfing. It's um, this friend of mine, amazing body worker, his name's Gary Crowley. In fact, actually, for musicians, this is somebody they should know about. I think the website is called Do It Yourself Joint painrelief.com uh, or, or Google do it yourself joint pain relief. What he does is he shows a series of videos of how to deal with this yourself, totally free. Um, but I remember I had gone to uh, doctors and physical therapists and yoga teachers and, you know, yeah. done all yeah. the stuff I was supposed to do. And in 10 minutes, he, he was like, oh, you have carpal tunnel. And he did this like super intense, like massage type stuff. It wasn't just like, oh, it's a massage. It was like, you know, kind of like you're sweating. And it's yeah, yeah, right. But then he gave me my arm back, and it, it wasn't just a little better, it was totally better. Wow. It was yeah. like, um, and so anyway, that was mm. revolutionary for me. Yes. Um, I did get a back injury, like uh, when Zeparello went on tour uh, a couple of years ago. We had a month-long van tour, and I think maybe the third day in, I was picking up my amp, and I got a back injury. Yeah, which it can happen, right? totally sucked. Yeah, definitely sucks. <laughs> the back injury. Sure. So I'm, I'm a big believer in taking good care of yourself, like doing exercises. I mean, people ask me all the time if my Les Paul is chambered. Nope, it is full weight Les Paul. Yeah. Um, I use a strap that's a little bit, that has some padding mm -hmm. on it so that it's, it isn't cutting into my shoulder as intensely. Uh, and then I just try to do things like I try to do uh, yoga. I try to lift weights. I try to stay strong and, and healthy so that I can, you know, uh, continue to, to play without injuring myself. Sure. Well, and it takes a lot of energy and stamina to do what you're doing, right? Right, right, exactly. And what I always say is I don't want to feign energy on stage. Like, I want to have that energy. So I'm happy to do my homework elsewhere so that, so that I'm in good shape to do play. Sure, absolutely. So you mentioned the the Gibson Les Paul. I mean, obviously yeah. you're playing that to in tribute to the Zeppelin music. I've also right. seen you play another. Can you can you talk about your guitars and or yeah. guitars of choice that you have? Yeah. 
So my, my number one, my, my baby is my music man silhouette special. And, uh, and that was actually the first guitar I ever had was a silhouette and I still have it. And my video for Valentino's victory lap, that's the guitar that's in that. And I guess, um, my friend Jude had sent that to, to Ernie Ball and was like, Hey, did you see this? And so they ended up sending me like, Oh, that's great. She needs yeah. an update for one. So then they sent me, that's now like my number one, um, nice. silhouette yeah. special. Um, it's a white one with a black. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, and that's why you, oh, I, I love it. Um, it's like, it just feels like home for me. So I, uh, that's my main solid body electric that isn't for Led Zeppelin. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have a number, I also have a Music Man Majesty, which is a great guitar. I have, uh, a beautiful acoustic. Uh, there's a recording I did of a Django Reinhardt tune. Actually, I'm wearing my Django shirt today. Uh, and it's um, and it's a Stephen Strom Eros acoustic, which I absolutely love. It's a beautiful instrument. It's not actually a gypsy jazz guitar, but you know I'm not a gypsy jazz player, so <laughs> not but I still learned a Django tune. And, uh, and then I have a Santa Cruz uh, acoustic as well. We've got a Sadowski nylon string electric. It's funny because like I don't feel like I'm not a collector. I'm not somebody who just buys guitars rec or gear recreationally. I don't really like having a lot of stuff. Okay. Use my like what I have and kind of stick with that. Yep. But uh, but then you realize that if you have diversity in your own taste, that all of a sudden you end up with you know a certain number of instruments. Like my classical guitar is a Kenny Hill rough model. Okay. Yeah. That's amazing. Some instruments that I love a lot. That's really great. You seem to me like a very accomplished, like really intelligent musician. Um, what are you still working on and practicing? And Because it's very clearly you are still a student of the art. Oh, boy, am I ever. Um, I love being a student, and I think you have to be a student. I mean, I, I don't know. I can't. To me, there's nothing worse than stagnation. You know, I'd, I'd rather be challenged to, to my to my extreme than, than feel stagnant. Uh, I'm working right now on an area that's definitely been um, an insecure and weak area for me, which is um, trying to get more fluent with improvisation. Mm -hmm. And I don't just improvisation like, okay, we're in the key of E, you know, play things that are correct notes. Yeah. I mean, trying, trying to tap into something that's a little bit, more creative than that, not just kind of working my way through licks or or, yeah. or scales and arpeggios, but but trying to actually feel more comfortable creating and expressing in real time. Mm -hmm. And for me, I found that to be incredibly challenging because it's like if you give me something that's very clear, it's like Gretchen, learn this lick. It's at this this number of beats per minute, and it has to be played perfectly. I know how to work on that. It's like I sit down with my metronome, I play it slowly in small sections, and then work my way up. There you go. It's a very mathematical kind of equation. Yeah. How do you practice being spontaneous? That's like you kind of... Yeah. You know, that's been a lot more nebulous for me. So I'm always grilling other musicians on how they improvise and listening to improvisations by people and... Uh, that definitely has been uh, an area of great curiosity and massive insecurity for me. So I'm working on that. But I'm also then working always on composition. I'm working on a string quartet right now with um, for this orchestration course I'm taking with Thomas Goss. Uh, and, and then always working on just, you know, writing, trying things, new things that I can't do, reviewing stuff that I could do. And yeah. 
you know, it's funny, you know, I can sit there and have recorded something a few months ago, and someone's like, hey, play me that, you know, somebody texted me the other day saying, hey, my, one of my students wants to learn the thing that you played in tunes. Can you help us with it? I actually had to sit down, I'm like, oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> it took me a minute, I remembered it, but it took me a minute. Sure, right. How do I play that again, right? Yeah, yeah. How do I play that? Oh, wait, hang on, let me practice it. <laughs> so do you also teach as well, Gretchen? I used to teach more. I have to say, I do. I I love teaching people who are passionate about learning. It's been right now. I've been so busy that I just haven't been able to do it. I, I have some people who I have taught, and it's just my schedule is so hard to work with recently that I um I, I, I would say I love teaching, but I I don't always have time for it. And it's very easy. Um, and I, I notice it all the time with myself is that anytime. Uh, you're working on something that does require uh, just a number of hours clocked, you know, something that is very technical, something that's, you know, requires speed and precision, uh, to to not forget that the whole reason to do that is because it's expressing something musically. And if you ever forget it, then it just becomes something that's purely mechanical. And so I, I do work on technique. I believe on, in working on technique, but I believe in working for myself on technique in furtherance of some something that my creativity mandates. So I don't tend to work on technique for the sake of technique. Um, but that's just that, that's just me. <laughs> yeah. No, I think it's great. Well said. What are some other maybe goals in your musical life? Where do you want your music to go? What else do you want to accomplish or achieve? If you if you've thought of that, if you know that. Oh, that's that's a wonderful question. Um, I gosh, I love I love music so much, and I love so many different aspects of it. And on one hand, sometimes I'll I'll wish that I was less diverse in my interests, but then I also don't want to be less diverse in my interests. I mean, aren't we? It's so funny how many people define themselves by what they don't like, and ultimately, that's kind of like wearing something so negative as a badge of honor. It's like if I could choose to like most things, like isn't your life better by what you like? Um, and so my problem is having so many different directions that I want to go in that it's like trying to juggle 12 different things. It's just like, okay, how do I make strides in any one direction if there's all these other places I also want to go? And so I want to work on everything, to be honest. I want to become a better technician. I want to have better feel. I want to have better vibrato. I want to have better improvisation. I want to, to, to write cooler stuff. I want to... I want to deepen my, my knowledge and my harmonic vocabulary. I want, you know, I want to be able to write better for, for different instruments. I want to be able to orchestrate something in a way that's, you know, beautiful. So, yeah, everything. Everything. Okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> well, life is long. Hopefully, you'll, you'll be able to do that, right? <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Right. I better keep drinking my green juice. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. For musicians who are watching this in the future, who want to get to where you are, what advice would you have for up-and-coming musicians? I think my advice would be um, do music because you love music. Don't go into music expecting a reward beyond the fact that you get to play music. And I think that if you focus on what you love about playing music, there's then an inherent reward in it. Egos can get out of control um, in both directions. Insecurity is just another form of ego. 
And right now we live in a time where, where our egos are constantly getting fed in either direction through the instant gratification of social media and things like that. And it can become very difficult to keep your own course clear because you're getting so much input from the outside. And while I believe that it is important to listen, you know, if you put something out there, it is important. You learn how something's received by listening to that. Um, but at the same time, to try to, to take enough time to stay grounded and really look within yourself and find out what makes you unique as a person and therefore as a musician. Um, we, we all are diverse creatures full of contradictions and complexities. And if you can find and channel those things into your music and your creativity, then in a way you don't compete with anybody. All you do is refine and expand who you are as a musician. And to me, that's, that's true music. And that's where you're going to find greatest fulfillment. That sounds great. Wonderful advice. Gretchen Men, thank you so much for being on Musicians on the Record today. A pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. It's such a delight to talk with you. Thank you so much, Gretchen Men, for being on Musicians on the Record today. How cool is that to hear all of those stories? Her album, Abandon All Hope, getting into Zeparella with Clementine, flying jets, and uh, playing the music of Led Zeppelin. How awesome is that? Gretchen Men on Musicians on the Record today. We'd love to hear from you. What did you think of the interview? What was your favorite part of it? Please let us know. Feel free to subscribe and comment below, or you can connect with us on our Facebook page, our YouTube page, and website at Musicians on the Record. If you'd like to see the interview with Gretchen, you can do that because uh, it was first a video, and all of those live on our website at musiciansontherecord.com as well. If you're enjoying these interviews, thank you so much. We really appreciate you listening. Please consider sharing them with someone that you know would love them too. We would really appreciate that. We've got more great interviews coming up for you soon. Stay tuned, and really thanks for listening. I'm David Ward. See you next time.